0: You're listening to an Encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the autumnal studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another season-extending episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks, You Bet Your Garden. The days are getting shorter and the nights cooler, so I guess it's time to put the garden to bed, right? Wrong. Wrong. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll reveal why we're just getting started as we walk you through the hows and whys of the third season of Good Eating. Plus, endlessly evasive answers to your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and serenely sanguine suppositions. So keep your eyes and or ears right here at Cats and Kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you growing your flowers and eating them, too right after this. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters. Hot Bin Composters are designed to reduce waste, heat up to 140 degrees Fahrenheit, create compost within 30 to 90 days, and minimize odors. More information at hotbincomposting-us.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Don't touch that garden. Don't get it all ready for winter yet, because we are about to enter the third season of growing good eating. Good eating. Good. We could be Pennsylvania Dutch. We're growing good eating in the fall. Yeah, they do that now. So stay tuned, and we'll tell you all the wonderful things you can grow between now and New Year's. But first, lots of your fabulous phone calls. Josh, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Good morning, Mike. Thank
1: you for taking my call.
0: Well, thank you for making it, Josh. How are you doing? Oh, very good. And so what can we do for you, sir?
1: I live uh, on a small tenth of an acre uh, piece of land in Southerton, Pennsylvania, not, okay. not too far from you.
0: Near the um, Folk live Festival, right?
1: Yeah, well, uh, that, that'd be probably Schwank still, so we're, okay. we're pretty close to that. Um, I live in town, and I have a, a space between my garage and alley that would be perfect for a raised garden bed. Okay. Plenty of uh, bright, early morning sun. Really? It's okay. The, yeah, with the configuration of the garage, driveway, and alley, the face uh, it forms an
0: L-shape, maybe 25 feet by 40 feet. Okay. That's a, that's a good size uh, to build some raised beds, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm going to start simply with one uh, 4 foot by 12 foot by 2 foot high Uh, raised frame that my sister and brother-in-law are building out of cedar for me. Oh,
0: sweet. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. Um, There's one large problem with the area. That area of my backyard has been a bit of a dumping ground over the years. some Mm -hmm. Loose soil, loose rocks, um, and has become infested with Japanese knotweed. For the past few years, each spring and fall... Uh, I'm I'm sorry,
0: Josh. I I can't hear you anymore. (laughs) I I think the phone connection has died. We're going to have to go to another caller. Guys, please find another caller. Come on, quick, quick. (laughs) Um, So, uh, it's funny you mention that. Uh, Somebody sent me a fabulous article from Slate, the online news magazine, of uh, this great writer who realized he had Japanese knotweed coming in from his neighbor's yard. And so he investigated it, figuring if he did enough research with real crop scientists and weed experts and people who care for municipal places, um, he would find a way to solve his knotweed problem. And they all said the same thing, which is move to an area where knotweed has not yet cultivated. (laughs) This apparently is the monster invasive weed of all time. Originally, the first knotweed from Japan, which you will note has a lot of attractive qualities if you forget about how monstrous it is. (laughs) It grows very tall, it flowers beautifully, fills in spaces very quickly, Josh, you know. It sure does. (laughs) So um, back in, I think it may have been the 1600s, around that time, somebody sent a sample uh, to England, to the Royal Gardens at Kew. And, you know, they didn't send the whole plant. They just sent a rhizome, um, part of a female plant, figuring this could be inspected without becoming a problem. Well, all you need is the tiniest sliver, like what's left over after you cut your toenails, uh, to totally envelop a place. It is a brutal weed in New York City parks, other places like that. Uh, This guy actually went to his local CVS pharmacy, bought a box of syringes, filled them up with glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in the weed killer Roundup, and injected them deep into the rhizome of the plant. And... He was so proud of himself until two weeks later when he realized it had done absolutely nothing. Um, it is said to be a weed that can be somewhat controlled, but you'll never get 100% control. Um, no one has yet conquered this weed. Um, mm. I urge you to read the article just so you get even more depressed <laughs> about this. Um, now, what i how long has the knotweed been there?
1: It's been there for as long as we've, own the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've been here about thirteen years. Okay. Uh, so twice a year, in the you know spring and the fall, I knock down the seven foot tall weeds and right. rip them out. But mm-hmm. they come back, you know, even more dense and uh, further reaching each year. So this year, in the specifically the four by twelve space where I hope to put the raised bed, mm-hmm. I spent an entire afternoon went down, ripped out all the roots that I could, you know, possibly rip out. Right. By Monday morning, they had already. Yes. Through again.
0: Yeah, it, uh, the growth rate of this thing is astronomical. It might be the fastest growing plant that we've yet encountered. Um, but uh, you do realize that the young shoots are edible, like asparagus, and the stalks of the fully grown plant are edible, like rhubarb. So, and this plant has been used for medicine and food and everything like that. Um, but there is also a theory that let's say you have 600 plants in your little space there, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's only one plant. It's oh, okay. It's like bamboo. It's part of this underground rhizome that can grow to phenomenal proportions. Um, have you but it hasn't moved into other areas? Is there concrete or something stopping it?
1: Uh, due to the configuration of the space, There's my garage, our neighbor's garage, and my driveway. So it is really confined to just this L-shaped 25 by 40. I mean, unless it can go under the driveway, which I would not be surprised. But so far, it it seems contained to this area. Um, I spoke to a local landscaper. Of course, his first suggestion was just douse the land in uh roundup, but I really don't
0: think poisoning the land is you know proper stewardship and I <laughs> don't really want to wanna do that. And and it hasn't worked. It has been tried um in every combination with cutting back and eight herbicide applications a year. Nothing nothing can really stop this because there's so much of the rhizome underground. So here's um, here's my thought. Uh I know this is weird. But I'm going to suggest you cut it back to the ground repeatedly and then would you be willing to pay for concrete to be poured and, oh. and entomb the monster, you know? I don't think it can be beaten head on, but like so many monster movies, maybe it can be trapped inside this impenetrable shell.
1: Oh, Okay, and I've I've heard you know, horror stories that it can go down almost ten feet. How well there is there is a tree in right. the area too, like a a holly tree. I'm I'm sure it's interwoven within all of those roots, yeah. and I would be I would assume that that would probably kill the the holly tree tree then too. Well, you want to kill
0: everything in there. No offense. You <clears throat> want you want to clean break and if you wanted to really make this sustainable in long term talk to a couple of landscapers and see if they would be willing to install what's called rhizome barrier um, at the edges where you'll pour your concrete Um, this is a specialized underground barrier that stops bamboo from spreading okay and this spreads like bamboo it's not related but its habit is very much like it and if this was a normal invasive weed, I would say, you know, pour like 12 inches of arborist wood chips on top and then jump, and, jump up and down on it for a couple of years. But really, the only thing that's going to stop this is like three or four inches of concrete. And okay, so
1: so there's nothing that could specifically get to the root system or... Effect that I mean I've, I've purchased several products which I haven't used yet. Someone had recommended it was a twenty percent vinegar mm-hmm. organic solution. Mm-hmm. Another was like a modium uh, fatty acid type product. Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure if any of that would get to
0: the root or
1: intuming is
0: is it? Yeah, well when you when you do this when you mow everything to the ground. Um, it would not be a bad idea for you to soak the area in 20% vinegar at a very dry time of year. Um, there's really not too much you can do here. This is you really got to pile it on. But I think if you weaken it, weaken it, and then pour concrete over top, that is your best um, that's your best shot at taking care of this. It is the worst weed. No one has ever fully defeated it. You might be the first to actually <laughs> to actually try entombment. So, you know, I get second credit on the scientific paper you'll write about it. Sure, we'll write it up. Yeah. Okay, Josh? All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. All right. Good luck to you, sir. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Denise, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, Denise. How are you doing?
2: Very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I am just... Ducky. Uh, What can we do for Denise? Oh, where are you?
2: Oh, I am in
0: East Lyme, Connecticut. Okay, very good. What can we do you for?
2: Well, this spring I saw a bag of garlic bulbs at my local small box hardware store. So I bought it on a whim and I planted them, some Mm -hmm. in my raised garden and some in my sandy yard soil and Mm -hmm. none of them grew. So when I began to Google information about what could have gone wrong, I saw articles about spring planning versus fall planning, hard neck versus soft neck, and I sort of gave up at that point. Mm -hmm. But then, a few weeks ago, I saw your amazing garlic harvest on social media. I felt reinvigorated to try again. So I went to the Gardens Alive website, and I decided that hardneck garlic bulbs were the right way to go for my climate.
3: Excellent. But
2: to prevent another failure, I would like some further buying and planting tips from you, who I consider now to be the guru of garlic.
0: I am. I really am. Um, The garden was actually started uh, because of my wife's love of raspberries. Um, And of course, if you're a gardener in America, you have to grow tomatoes. It's a federal law. But I got involved with garlic um, after one of my first conferences where I was a guest speaker, and I absolutely love it. So hardneck is the way to go for your part of the country. Softneck garlic is for warm climates and people who want to braid their garlic. But it it doesn't have the flavor and color of the hardnecks. So you get a bunch of hardnecks. You can either buy them online at you know gardens alive seed savers exchange but one thing you can also do are there good farmers markets near you oh yeah so if you buy your planting garlic from them you have a garlic that is already locally adapted to growing in your region and your climate and of course you're you're also supporting sustainable agriculture and farming and you know keeping the land green, that is a great place uh, to find your planting garlic. Again, where you are, I would try to get it into the ground pretty soon, early in okay. September, and it's real easy. Once you get your garlic bulbs home, you just break them open really gently, and then you plant each clove individually, three to six inches deep in your lightest, loosest soil, and you plant the cloves six inches to a foot apart. Now they may, um, they may sprout over the winter, they may not, it doesn't matter. In the spring they'll take off like mad, and then really the only thing you have to do, uh, besides controlling weeds, that's why I like a mulch of uh, shredded leaves over Mm -hmm. my garlic bed. The only thing you have to do is hardneck garlic will produce what's called escape, little, you know, pod halfway, no, towards the very top of the central stalk. It'll be a little bulge. So when They're that,
2: edible, right?
0: Yes, they you are. Think
2: they're edible? Yeah.
0: Yeah. When all your garlic has a little scape on it, cut them all off, bring them inside, and that night when you make dinner, um, heat up a little olive oil in a pan, just stir fry them for one to three minutes, and they have a mild garlicky taste. And Really, the only way you can eat garlic scapes is if you grow garlic, so it's a once-a-year once a treat. Right. Then, as we get into late June, early July perhaps in your climate, watch the plants carefully. When the bottom one-third of a plant has turned brown, then you want to pull that plant up and examine the bulb. If it's, if it's a good size, it's got a nice wrapper around it, you can harvest any of the other plants that are equally brown. If some of them are still all green, let them develop for a little bit longer. You'll always get a bigger bulb. But don't wait until they all turn brown or it'll split open and it'll go bad.
2: All right, and how long can I store them once I pull them?
0: Well, that's the problem with our net garlic. It will start to sprout again in September. So, what I do is I take the biggest cloves and put them aside for replanting. Then I take the rest of them and I slice and dice them up. My fingers smell like garlic for days afterwards. (laughs) I put them in a food dehydrator, a food dryer, until they're nicely dry. And then I have a coffee grinder that has never had coffee in it. And I whiz up these little pearls of garlic and put them in old spice jars. So, you make your own garlic powder, and you grow enough garlic, that'll carry you through to the next harvest. And if you think you've tasted a garlic powder before that was acceptable, this is the bee's knees. There's really nothing like it. My family uh, can't wait because I had a great harvest this year, as you saw on our Facebook page. So they're going to get their garlic powder for Christmas.
2: Oh, I love the cook. That'll be perfect.
0: Yep. All right. You got the courage now?
2: I do. That is fantastic. I will definitely try all this out.
0: Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone that for most of us, the time has come to start removing new flowers from our tomatoes and peppers, because there just isn't enough time left for those flowers to become full-fledged fruits. But don't go deflowering your delicacies just yet, because we'll be right back with your marching orders for fall and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden,
1: support for you bet your garden is provided by the espoma company offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils more information about espoma and the espoma natural gardening community can be found at espoma.com you're listening to an encore presentation of you bet your garden
0: welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, there's still plenty of gardening to come. We have time to grow fabulous things to eat, and it is an easier time to have success with certain crops than the spring or the summer. We'll tell you all about it after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Sharon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Hello, Mike. Good morning. Where are you? Where am I? I'm home.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we are doing Lucy and uh, <laughs> Desi now. Uh, uh, what state are you in? What city?
3: Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm in New Jersey.
0: You're in New Jersey. What it's exit? Gatoway, New Jersey. What exit?
3: exit well, it depends on where you're coming from. Uh, 287, <laughs> you go and exit 9, 8, or 7. It'll okay.
0: Very good. Now, I'm going to reveal a secret. You are the wife of cheerful Charlie Sarah, our sound engineer. Yes. But you are also a rabid gardener who uh, grows one of my tomato plants, at least. Yeah, every- actually,
3: it's doing really well on our deck.
0: Although Although...
3: Yeah, I, I, I love to garden. However, I have a, I have some issues. Okay.
0: Know? Well, that, Charlie said you had issues, um, but we got <laughs> We have to talk about gardening here. So, what can we do you for? All
3: right. Well, okay. So, the hosta plants. You're right. I love hostas because they're the easiest to grow for me.
0: They're the oh. easiest to grow for everybody. Okay. You, well, that's good. If a gardener ever kills a hosta, they have to leave the country.
3: Yeah, I, I I've, I've been learning that over the years that yeah they are trying they are hard to kill unless you make the unfortunate mistake that I did when I first moved into my area and I planted them in the front yard, so they would be beautiful coming up and then the next morning wake up and they're down chewed to the nub, and then I realize we have a lot of deer and deer loves hosta.
0: It is one of their favorite foods. Hostas and uh, arborvitae are probably their two favorites.
3: Right, and uh, of course, um, you know, being a new homeowner at the time, I didn't really investigate that, and I just planted them. And so then I learned, well, let's plant them in the backyard because I have an eight-foot-high fence. Absolutely. Well, maybe they have a more of a chance in the backyard. Yeah. So I did that, and they're growing like wildflowers. The problem is, they're growing really large. That they're pushing all my other plants, kind of like out of the way, right. for lack of a better term.
0: What uh, hostas are known for is they are clumping plants, and you put a little one in the ground, and within five or ten years, it has grown outward uh, four or five times its original size. Now, when that, and also if you leave the seed pods on the stalks over winter, you know, to feed the birds and everything like that. You wind up with volunteer hostas all throughout the yard. So what you do when they get too big, and this is, this is something Charlie says you, you would be very good at. You, you dig them up out of the ground in the spring when they start to emerge so you know where they are. Yeah. Okay. You dig them up out of the ground, and if they're the size of my large hostas, you get a chainsaw and you quarter them. You just make them even quarters and then replant one of your quarters. And then, you know, you can do what you want with the other ones. Leave them outside to feed the deer, give them to your neighbors. But hostas, if you don't want them to take over, they should be divided every couple of years. And as we know, you can't kill them. Even the ones that the deer ate to the ground kept coming back.
3: Yeah, they come back every year. Yeah, that was the... the, uh crooks of it all, because they I'm like, oh, wow, they're beautiful, and then literally once they, they, they barely had a chance, and then they're down to the nub again. But yeah, then they come back the next year. So you're saying, so first of all, I didn't even learn, I never even knew about the seed pods, because... That's interesting. I didn't realize about that. The beautiful flowers, I didn't even consider that, you know, whatever. So yeah, but, I mean,
0: after those beautiful purple flowers fade away, you did notice those giant pods that form. Yeah,
3: yeah, and then I, I just, yeah, I, I do. I did. I just kind of just left them because I didn't know what to do with them. So Well,
0: I leave mine there because they do feed the birds. And what happens is, of course, the birds will replant a lot of them. So what I've done to control my hostas is once they all sprout up in the spring, we go out there with a weed whacker and we just create lanes between the hostas, and we've actually been able to craft designs. Right in the center of our front garden is a huge circle of what, I don't know how they manage to coexist, but they do. Um, First come daffodils, and then come the hostas.
3: Yeah, right.
0: And it's just a, a beautiful design, and all we do to keep it is to weed whack around it.
3: Wow, I never even. So I, I have a large. I have like about five large ones that are about the size of what you say, like almost like an umbrella. Like yes, the exactly. Of an umbrella. Right. So you're saying if I need to, like, I would just love to split them yeah. and take the split portions and plant them around like the bases of these large trees I have. So you're saying the springtime when they first come up, that's probably the best because you can kind of see yes. um, where where there's how many you have growing up, and and you know you ever notice, Mike? They grow at different rates. Like mm-hmm. the ones with the stripes would come up sooner than the than the ones that are solid greens. It's just it's crazy. I mean, no, there are
0: there types. are a lot of different varieties, and they all have kind of different habits. But you know, the healthiest ones are the straight green ones.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that's the ones that are like growing like. Mad. Yes. Yeah. They're beautiful, but they're pushing my boxwoods like like no one else has had. Oh, they're else bullies.
0: They're total bullies. And yeah. uh, if it would work out better for you, you could carve them up now as well.
3: Oh, okay. That'd be great. I, I, that would work out, actually.
0: Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, just don't plant them too close to trees. You don't want to impact the roots.
3: Tree, yes. I got you. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you.
0: All right. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you. Linda, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Thank you, Mike.
0: Well, thank you, Linda. How you doing?
4: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm just ducky, thanks for ducky. asking. Yes. Where are you, Linda?
4: I'm in Bethlehem Township.
0: Okay. All right. What can we do for Linda in Bethlehem?
4: Well, I am finding... A weird cropping up of huge mushrooms in my yard. Uh They're a good size, four to five inches head across. And we're the only one seems to be in our local neighbors. Don't have any of them, just us.
0: Did you send me an email with two separate sets of pictures? Okay, one of the mushrooms appears to be your common garden variety toadstool. Type mushroom, one, yes. but mm-hmm. the other one kind what of is- <laughs> kind of looks like an X-rated toy of some kind, doesn't it?
4: Yes, it does. Yes, it does.
0: And have you, out of shame and horror, have you taken a broom to it? No, I didn't. Okay, good. It is called a stinkhorn fungus, and oh. were you to try to destroy it, you would uh, learn why it's called stink. Of course, oh. you you already know why it's called horn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these are one of the most embarrassing of the nuisance molds, and they are clearly growing out of your wood mulch. Okay. That is the sole reason for your stinkhorn fungus. Mm. And you want to be careful. I don't have your email in front of me, but what's the siding of your house made of?
4: The siding is vinyl.
0: Yeah. You want to get that, and I'm very serious here, you want to get that wood mulch out of there before the next nuisance mold shows up and it is artillery fungus. Because this is a little fungus that looks like kind of a bird's nest, but so small we almost can't see it. The egg inside the nest can shoot tar balls that are actually spores, of course, 30 feet in the air towards light-colored objects. My understanding is if you get at them right away with soapy water or Mr. Clean's magic eraser, you can get them off the first day. But after that, because they're living organisms, they kind of creep through the vinyl. Millions and millions of dollars in homeowner claims are paid every year for artillery fungus damage. You know, see, it's this whole thing of the wood mulch. Wood mulch was never a good idea, especially near homes. But when they stopped accepting wood waste at landfills, wood mulch began being marketed to homeowners as the thing to do. And landscapers as I'm sure you'll know, they'll push you to use it and they'll push exactly. you, they'll push you to use more of it because the more trucks they bring of it, the more they get paid. But the more the danger to your plants your home and light-colored cars it does cars too. Now the um, regular toadstools, in your garden. They're in your lawn, right? Yes, they're in the lawn. Have you had any trees removed?
4: Not in that lawn.
0: Okay. That's
4: in our front yard. We had a tree removed from our backyard.
0: Okay, well, and you didn't have the stump pulled, did you?
4: In the back we did, yes.
0: Oh, good, good. Well, then you won't get these things popping up there. One, okay. one of the reasons these toadstools can um, pop up, buried wood that is no longer alive. So if when they built your house, if they buried some of the construction debris in the front yard, and there's wood in there, that would eventually form mushrooms on the surface of the soil. So would leftover roots of trees. But typically you won't get a mushroom on a living tree. Okay. So I wouldn't worry about that. Um, Of course, we have been soaked beyond belief um, recently. Yes. We've also had uh, a lot of, like, really hot, humid weather. And that's that's a good recipe for toadstools. They're, they're probably even in full sun sometime, right?
4: Oh, yeah. Right now they're in full sun.
0: Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about them. What happened is either you've got wood buried underground for one reason or another, and it took this kind of wet, hot summer to bring it out, or the spores just blew in. They could have even blown over there from your uh, from your wood mulch or from somebody else with the mushrooms. Just just mow them down if they really annoy you and you want to get rid of them. Maybe get a flame weeder first so you incinerate the spores so they oh. don't continue to breed. Sometimes you will get a fairy ring, which is mushrooms of this kind of shape and size, but in a perfect ring. Mm. And then the grass inside the ring takes on this dramatic color green. Uh, It is such an interesting phenomenon that a lot of people don't hurt their fairy rings. And, you know, people are into it. Maybe they'll go out and make a little fairy garden around that. They're supposed to be good luck, but it's just a natural thing that happens, um, when fertilizer builds up in a certain area of the lawn although i'm not sure my colleges really know everything about why fairy rings appear but you Mm. you just appear to have uh... you know regular toadstools you know place for the toads to sit out at night talk play cards watch (laughs) little toad tv okay but i urge you to get that wood mulch away from your home before it uh, starts releasing more than nuisance spores.
4: Okay, thank you so much.
0: All right, good luck to you. Ron, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi Mike, nice to meet you and virtually over the phone. (laughs) How you doing, Ron?
1: I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Working on my
0: garden and I just have the one question i like to ask. Okay, where are you, man? I'm in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. (laughs) All right, Ron, what's your single garden question? And the one question
1: I have is around wisteria. So I noticed on the site that you suggest how to get it to bloom more um, and and some of the characteristics. But my question is, is it okay to plant on my lean-to pergola? So I'm building a little pergola that's attached to my shed. It overlooks a flower garden, smaller, and I want to grow some type of vine up it. Wisteria grows quickly, but I don't know if it's too quick or too much work. I don't necessarily know if it's going to overwhelm me, or is there another type of plant, uh, vine that I would grow, say a jasmine or those type of things. So all the sites I see say it's very invasive, but then the other portions I see is it's very beautiful and it can be managed. And so I always go to you for the final word.
0: Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I think it's as manageable as a house cat. Um I have I have wisteria in my backyard that I constantly have to attack because it sends its tendrils up to the other trees and tries to drag them down to the ground and Uh, steal their lunch money, make fun of them. It is incredibly destructive. And most of the time when it's growing on something wooden, eventually it takes that structure down to the ground and beats it heavily. I will also tell you that although I don't do anything uh, to get my wisteria to bloom, I think you just referenced uh, one of the articles where people are telling you to take an axe to it or beat it with chains to get it to bloom. I've never done that, and just this past summer, it bloomed beautifully for me. But I honestly can't remember doing that ever before, maybe once. Uh, So um, wisteria, when people want it to be beautiful, tends to be very bloom resistant. Now let me offer something completely different. Um, There is a wonderful event in New Jersey uh, that I do every year at a place called Historic Smithville. And of, oh, course, yeah, yeah. of course, we couldn't do it this year, uh, but it's a fabulous estate. There's all sorts of talks for kids, and I put on a dog and pony show, and they have live raptors. and st- it's, it's a wonderful day for families. Uh, but sometimes, because this is one of the latest events I do, I think it's always in late June, it is really hot out. And The first time I was there when it was really hot, I've done this event for like 12 years straight, I wandered into this parogola and boom, I'm looking around for the misting fans or the air conditioning ducts, because all of a sudden it's like 20 degrees cooler. And I look up and there is a cluster of grapes hanging down right in front of my face. And I started to pick them and eat them and they were delicious it looked like it was well behaved it looked like it was no threat to the pergola so since then that's always been my recommendation for one reason you know not only the non-invasiveness but you get grapes anybody who's ever grown grapes knows that the the thickness of the leaves the numbers of the leaves they form a beautiful umbrella over top of you and there's just something about this plant that cools that area dramatically and and you so, get grapes okay great i appreciate your time and i always appreciate uh, the advice you give all right well thank you ron you take care well it's time for me to take a little break and suggest that those of you who are intending to plant new spring bulbs like tulips daffodils and crocuses. Cool your heels, or your jets, or whatever you've got that needs to be cooled. Because in most of the U.S., new bulbs should be planted later than most people think. October 1st for the furthest north of views, around Halloween for the mid-Atlantic states, and simply before Thanksgiving down in the Carolinas. So sit down on that old easy chair, and we'll be right back with important info about the third season of Good Eating, and more of your fabulous phone calls.
1: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.
0: You're listening to an Encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens, in just a little bit. We'll get to the question of the week detailing all the wonderful edibles you can plant right now and either enjoy next year or from now through New Year's. It's all coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Corey, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Hello, Corey. How are you?
5: I am so excited.
0: Okay. Where is <laughs> Corey excited?
5: I am in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Excellent, excellent. What can we do you for?
5: So, I decided to try to grow asparagus from. So I started all these little asparagus plants and I have them in little pots and they're just so tiny and I don't know if they're ready to put out in the ground yet.
0: So what do I do? What time of year did you start the seeds?
5: I want to say I probably didn't start them until in early April.
0: Oh, okay. Did you just freehand this or did you read anything?
5: (laughs) It's like A recipe. I'm
0: like, yeah, I think I got the gist of it. And I'm
5: like, wait a minute.
0: (laughs) If you choose to do this again. And the theories have changed, by the way. We used to tell people that asparagus from seed would cost you extra years before you would get a harvest. Right. But but now that more people are doing it, we're finding, actually, you may be able to harvest your second year. Wow. Yeah. So it's probably a fun thing to do. Where'd you get the seed?
5: Uh, Annie's Organic, or Annie's Heirloom Seeds.
0: Okay. Um, is that a local company?
5: N- uh, no, it's an online thing. We had a tornado, and I couldn't get to the local store okay. the first week of March. Right. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and order some seeds. And then lucky I did because within the week a pandemic hit, and couldn't buy seeds anywhere uh,
0: or it, plants it's, or
5: anything. It's so.
0: been a tough year. Um, do you know the yeah. variety?
5: There, Martha
0: Washington. Oh, okay. So, this is the old heirloom seed that's going to produce both male and female plants.
5: That is what I hear. Of yeah. course,
0: and that's where they got the seed from the berries on the female plants. Again, if you wanted to do this the Spalding Guide way, you would start those seeds indoors at the end of December or early January. Because one thing you noticed is it was almost a month before the sprouts came up, right? Right. Yeah. So that's why you start you start those seeds before anything else so that you have you know viable plants by the time you're starting your seeds for your tomatoes so that gives, right. so your plants should be bigger now. How many plants do you have? 11. 11. And what are they in?
5: They're in yogurt cups.
0: <laughs> of course they are. Do they have drainage? Um,
5: course there they
0: do yeah okay um well we have a couple of options here um now did you start them under lights indoors no
5: because i just got a late start i put it i was like i'm not going to be able to harvest these for like four years anyway so i'll just start them after when i because i didn't have room i had a little warming tray and i only had so much room on my warming tray okay you know my feet so i started them late and i was like i'll plant them in august but they're still so tiny i'm like i don't know i guess you know jump in or, you know, sw- swim or sink or whatever
0: at this point. but um, I wish they were in different containers. I was going to suggest you heal them in, which, okay. it, you know, it's not exactly planting. You bury the container um, up to the top of the container, and that provides a little extra frost protection. But uh-huh. it, it doesn't get... Really ridiculously cold in Nashville over the winter. No,
5: I'm actually going to be planting them in Lawrenceburg anyway. But yeah, I mean the climate is pretty similar. It's like 90 miles south of here. So
0: okay, well south is even warmer. So, um, and do you have a, a bed prepared for them?
5: I have a bed prepared, um, and I've had it covered all summer, so oh. it's just bare. Um, you know, and I threw. I haven't haven't fully amended it probably as well as I should, but I've put some composted manure on there horse, and horse it covered up. Horse manure? Part horse and part chicken. Okay. But the chicken manure was very old.
0: Good, good, so, good.
5: Yeah. And it's been on there for a while, so.
0: Um, okay, uh, jeez. Um, well, I guess plastic is plastic. I mean, if they were in peat pots, it would be, it would be perfect. But uh, what I'm going to suggest is uh, you put them out in in their pots without disturbing the roots. Uh-huh. And again, you know, plant them so that the pot is underground. Right. And then in the spring, if they look nice and everything, um, I would uh, be brave and take them out of those pots and plant them for real.
5: Gotcha. Okay. I did not think of that.
0: Yeah, and, you, you know, you got nothing to lose. you got more seeds, right? I do, yeah. So, so I, I guess
5: I should start some in December <laughs> before abso- I know if these are...
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You know, uh, you can never have too much asparagus.
5: I suppose not. So here, one more question about the asparagus is, are the deer going to eat them? Because they sure look like the deer would want to eat them.
0: I I have not. You know, asparagus has a, a pretty strong taste, and, uh, you know, I don't think the deer want to have their pee smell funny. I wonder if that
5: works. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if that works for
0: deer. Um, I don't know. But if you're really worried about that, I, I I would do a little research online. Just type in, do deer eat asparagus? My guess is that they don't because I've never seen a protected asparagus patch. that They're always out in the open. Right. Uh, you know, and again, if the deer eat your little babies, you're going to have another run ready to plant at the right time of year.
5: Right. So then once it's established, do you, are you supposed to keep the area weeded? Or oh, yes, you, yes. You have to keep it really well weeded. Yes. But you can't, like, put black plastic down because you don't know where the sprouts are going to sprout, right?
0: Oh, you don't. Um, um I, Well, you wouldn't put black plastic down in Tennessee no matter what. Oh. Okay. Um, the best thing is to mulch the bed with a couple inches of shredded leaves, or pine straw, which should be locally available where you are. Yes. So that's it. And just keep an eye on the weeds. You want it to be as weed-free as possible. That's the biggest... Okay. That's the biggest enemy. Okay. And then, right. of course, when, you, when, when your plants uh, are big and the, uh, the boys and the girls get together, you can harvest your own seed from those berries.
5: All right. Well, can I ask you a question about garlic? Sure. I read something about garlic and peas being not cool together and, like, that they shouldn't even be planted in succession. So I'm wondering, is using a peas, like a peas and oats cover crop, soil builder, before I plant garlic, is that bad? No. Or is is the garlic bad for the peas? Like, should I plant peas where garlic was? No. This is just totally a made-up thing that I found on the internet
0: (laughs) totally a made-up thing written by a quote gardener who's living in an apartment in maryland somewhere you
5: know (laughs) okay great well i'll stop stressing over that then
0: all right good luck to you All right, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling It's Time for the Third Season of Gardening. And season number three, namely the fall, may be the easiest of them all. You don't have the cool, wet soil of spring to deal with, nor the sometimes ungodly heat of summer. Grow the correct plants and fall gardening will deceive you into thinking you're actually good at this. Okay, first up, garlic. Yes, we've been talking about it all year, but now we can finally do something about it. Obtain your planting garlic from a neighbor, a reputable online source, or a local farmer's market that's producer only, meaning the people selling also did the growing. Do not use supermarket garlic. Carefully break the heads into their individual cloves and place each clove about six inches deep, tiny down, and six inches to a foot apart in your loosest, richest soil. Don't plant in heavy clay or in areas of poor drainage. If all goes well, and it should, you'll harvest a full-size head from each planted clove next June or early July. Pansies. Years ago, you could only buy flats of these cool weather lovers in the spring. But then we begin to see special pansies appear in garden centers in the fall, with names like icicle pansies and winter pansies. They're the same damn pansies they sell in the spring! But, if you plant them now, they'll pump out blooms until heavy snow or ice slows them down, then they'll bloom again when the weather is halfway decent, bloom like crazy in the spring, and keep pumping out those edible flowers until summer heat shuts them down yes pansy flowers not the leaves are edible nutritious and delicious but unless you're certain the plants were organically grown pull off the first couple of runs before you begin to use the flowers to adorn your salads speaking of salads let us move on let us move on to salad greens i didn't do that deliberately don't blame me The soil is still nice and warm this time of year, so the seeds of lettuce, spinach, kale, and other greens will sprout rapidly at this time of year. I grow all my lettuce and such in big containers on my patio. Half whiskey barrels, big grow bags, my brand new raised bed on legs, and smaller containers placed on tables. This prevents rabbit damage and makes harvesting super easy. The higher up your greens, the more you're going to enjoy growing them. This is also the best time to grow cut-and-come-again style greens. Instead of spacing out your seeds as you would to harvest whole heads, sow them thickly, almost as if you were seeding a lawn. When the greens reach three to four inches high, snip off a row with a pair of scissors, leaving the roots and about an inch of greenery in the ground. Continue giving your patch a haircut until you've done a complete snipping. By then, the first row should have regrown enough for another harvest. And after that, it's lather, rinse, repeat. Plant a big enough area, and you can enjoy tasty baby greens every day. And if you have a mild winter, the roots will survive and grow a couple more harvests for you in the spring. Bonus! Greens harvested in cool weather will always taste better than greens that were sown in the spring. The cool nights of fall greatly concentrate their sugars and nutrients. Double bonus, use a season-extending device like row covers or grow tunnels, which are row covers with built-in hoops, and your plants will enjoy temperatures 4 to 8 degrees warmer than the outside air. Four degrees for lightweight covers, eight for the heavyweight fabrics. New trees and shrubs. Newly purchased trees and shrubs have a much better rate of survival when installed in the fall as opposed to the spring. When you plant in the spring, the plants often don't have enough time to acclimate before the heat of summer hits. Plants installed in the fall are already going dormant and have plenty of time to acclimate to their site before the growing season begins again. And nurseries normally heavily discount plants in the fall so they don't have to care for them over the winter. Now, when you buy these plants, don't listen to the so-called professionals who tell you to leave the burlap on, fill the hole with nice soft amendments like peat moss and perlite, and then mound chipped-up pallets that have been spray-painted the color of a Burger King around the trunks. Instead, remove all wrappings of any kind. Dig a wide hole, not a deep one. Position trees so that their root flare is visible above ground shrubs should be planted slightly higher than they were in their pots. If the plant is grafted, always make sure the graft is visible above ground. Refill the hole with the same soil you just removed, and if you must apply mulch, start six inches away from the plant and extend the mulch line out as far as you estimate the longest branch will extend. Never apply mulch deeper than two inches, and never touch any kind of plant with any kind of mulch. We finish up with your instructions for fall pruning. Don't! Nothing needs to be pruned in the fall, nothing should be pruned in the fall, and pruning in the fall carries a high risk of plant damage and or death. Prune your spring bloomers after they finish blooming in the spring, Prune roses and summer bloomers a couple of weeks after they begin growing again in the spring. Well, that sure was a solid look at what you should be planting right now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website, where you can read it over at your leisure or, if you prefer, your leisure. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be. YouBetYourGarden.org Gardens Alive supports the You bet Your Garden question of the week and you will always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to poach my pansies if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, You're tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming Teaming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. You'll find all of this contact information, the answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows. Oi, oh, and our podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when lightning struck a small UHF station broadcasting an episode of Double Chiller Theater featuring the amazing Colossal Man and the incredible Shrinking Man, and he got caught in the middle. Our musical director is Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is sometimes cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minute. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and hairy director is Javier Diaz. The usual gang of idiots includes Eric Werner, John Flynn, Zach the Tack, Jake Morris, and Jeff Frederick, our fearless leader, CEO, Grand Poobah, and Lord of the New Office Furniture, Tim Fallon, wants everyone out there to know that even though he does not actually come into the building anymore, he is still late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, planting garlic, making garlic powder, saucing tomatoes, drying hot peppers and just plain harvesting and processing my little rear end off well it used to be little yeah it really did and cute too maybe it's still cute but i'm always sitting down so who can tell anyway cute or not it'll be back to see you again next week